This is The New Right, a podcast for the lost arts, reclaiming the literary holy land from the heathen. This is Matt Pegas. And this is Dan Baltic. And we are here today with Justin Lee. Uh, Justin is the associate editor of First Things Magazine. Um, he's also a writer more generally of both fiction and nonfiction. Um, he's got an MFA from UC Irvine, where he also used to teach in the composition program. Um his fiction and nonfiction have been published in a wide variety of outlets, including um, First Things, of course, as we mentioned, of which she's now the associate editor, um, but also the Los Angeles Review of Books, the New York Post. Um, his fiction has been published in Vice's uh, sci-fi publication, Terraform, and that's just to name a few. Um, he's got quite a good curriculum vitae. You can all check check him out on Twitter, check out his website. Um, lots of great work. It's a very impressive Impressive body of work, uh, again, both fiction and nonfiction. Um, there's even, I was, I, Justin, I found this on your website, you know, some 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 interviews with some pretty high profile, like Hollywood talent for Flaunt Magazine. Yeah. So, you know, in addition to being like an intellectual Catholic and an intellectual conservative, um, you've also just written on these really wide variety of topics. So, uh, Justin, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, you it seemed like you were you were going to say something when I mentioned the flaunt pieces. That is that sort of uh, is you, are you still writing stuff like that, or are you mo- you're mostly focused on first things now? Yeah, I'm mostly focused on first things, but I always have an open door there. I just shoot them an email and say, "Hey, I'm you know, let me let me do another interview," and they'll tell me whatever they they have kicking around. They they they've learned to only give me interesting people. You know, yeah. <laughs> nice. I like I liked the Maya Hawk interview, and obviously that you know the 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 world of of interviewing that those kinds of talents is you. I mean, tell me if I'm wrong. You probably view that as somewhat distinct from what you'd write for like a first things. Um, nevertheless, that was kind of almost like a synchronicity. I guess Maya Hawk played Flannery O'Connor in a movie that shot earlier this year. Huh, so I, totally I, I don't think it. she's exactly a first things reader herself, but uh, you know. There are occasional intersections between the first things type world and the the mainstream, right? Yeah, no, definitely. And, you know, we've been around long enough that we're, you know, basically an establishment magazine, which feels weird to say, you know, with my mouth. Um, mm. um, yeah, so, so there are, you know, th- th- there's at least a patina of credibility that that gets people through the door who might otherwise be utterly terrified of our politics. Right. No, I'm I'm really excited about 
you know, what, what first things has been doing recently. And maybe you are, uh, maybe a lot of it is to your personal credit, Justin, I don't know. I mean, you can, you can share the credit if you want, but I, I, I you, you kind of have the connection with Lomez, which is of course also how you okay. come to be on this podcast. Uh, you were the, were, were you the one, not that we need to like see how the sausage is made entirely, but <laughs> were you the one who sort of got Lomez's piece in the, in the publication? Yeah. Yeah, I was. Um, yeah, we, I've been talking with him for a little while uh, about uh, doing something for us, and um, he'll, he'll be doing a few more pieces. I, I kind of envision the Longhouse piece as the first of a series. Amazing. Amazing to hear. And, you know, I'm really excited, you know, for to, to see that crossover. And I think it's necessary, and I think it's mutually very beneficial. As you said, like, First Things um, is like an establishment, very well-respected brand. I was telling you you know, before we hopped on, like I've, I've known about first things really my whole life because my, my father, you know, is, he's a Catholic and a philosophy professor. Like it was very much in his, uh, you know, wheelhouse to be reading first things. So I grew up with, you know, those, 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 you know, that, that iconic, those iconic first things cover, you know, every, every quarter or every month or however much it comes out, you know, a different color and all the, you know, intellectual, very intellectual, like, you know, titles for these articles and you know i myself ended up studying philosophy and like it, it just was very much a part of my upbringing in a way and just very iconic for me of sort of like the best that like intellectual conservatism and intellectual catholicism and, and other obviously it's obviously ecumenical and there's other denominations uh as well so it's not just catholic but you know that like the sort of the most intellectual offerings if that's if that's fair to say you know from from those different you know communities and, and and churches and things yeah um, and it's, yeah, you know, it's, it's very at least we try to be very broadly ecumenical mm-hmm. you know um you know we have i mean i'm i'm an evangelical uh, did i say you were catholic earlier incorrectly i i i, 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 I if you did i missed it i'm so yeah I, i'm sorry if i did i, I don't want to i've done this before we had the prudentialist on who's another one of these like frogs that are people and I, I assumed he was catholic and he's actually orthodox so uh Sorry if I mislabeled you there, but yes, first things, while it does have a strong Catholic background, is ecumenical. And Justin, so you are an evangelical then? Yeah, and you know, we publish uh, you know a handful of uh, Muslim writers, and uh, yeah, you know, and, lots and, of Jewish writers always too. Yeah, yeah, a lot of Jewish writers, you know, is a big you know core. Um, I, I'm going to be bringing on uh, a couple of uh, Buddhist writers uh, over the next few mm. months. Interesting. Uh, that is a fascinating move i mean that is that would that be a first for first things or no i don't imagine that it would be a first i'm a first but yeah we have atheists right for us occasionally yeah Uh, and um because it's uh you know we have a lot of fellow travelers um yeah you know and, and some of the best writers on a given issue um you know who line up with our worldview um on that issue it might not line up on other things but uh, but they're still the right person for the given topic yeah no i mean i appreciate sort of first things commitment to that i think it's part and parcel of again this recent again probably largely credit to, to you um you know move towards incorporating what for lack of a better term, i don't know for whatever you want to call it frog twitter uh there's this active um you know again, I think mutually beneficial cross-pollination that's going on. And, you know, there's obviously other sort of, there's other publications like First Things, but I I think First Things is really kind of establishing itself as the one who's most willing to engage with the Lomezes, the Bronze Age perverts, uh, maybe even the new rights uh, of the world. 
Um, I think it's really cool. Um, you know, there's, well, I, I'll let you comment on that if you have something to say, but I, I think, I feel like there's a lot of, um, I, I don't want I don't want to be pointing fingers at any one publication or another. I don't even know all the behind the scenes politics that might go into this, but you know, there, there are these kind of, there, there is like, there's, there's a lot of like sort of national conservative type Catholics and other types of Christians out there. Um, but I don't know if this is always fair, but there's a lot of people on frog Twitter who kind of look askance at that. Like there's this effort to sort of control the narrative be like you know strictly you know sort of DeSantis not Trump type of territory or, or even like veer things in a slightly more you know you may be overemphasizing the economic populism a little bit but I guess what I'm trying to say is first thing seem like the one who are are the most honestly engaging with like these kind of frog Twitter type topics, these exit the longhouse type topics without yeah. having their own agenda that they're grafting on. You you let Lomez speak for himself rather than yeah. just writing endless think pieces about like, oh, it's not all post-Trumpism, shall we say, if that makes sense as yeah. a category. It's kind of more honestly engaging from my vantage point with yeah. um, with these, these trends, yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, um, I mean, I, I, I love Lomez, you know, he's, he's very much kind of, you know, he's very much a unique voice on the dissident right. Yeah. Uh, and, um, you know, definitely one of the smartest voices. So, uh, and, and he's doing work that's near and dear, near and dear to my heart, um, you know, with promoting the arts and uh, promoting literature. And, yeah. And that's, you know, that's something that, you know, I see as part of my own mission. Right. And, um, you know, I, you know, I'm going to get the opportunity to begin publishing fiction, uh, through first things. Nice. Great. Yeah. Publishing yeah. your own fiction or also just publishing people. Oh, but, uh, I probably won't publish my own fiction. Yeah, I guess not. Right. For, yeah. for a while, I'd feel weird about that, <laughs> but, but, but no, I'll be bringing, bringing on, um, you know, other fiction writers. Uh, oh, that's actually, great. Yeah. yeah. That's actually, phenomenal. Yeah. We're gonna start with the website, but I, I may actually have funding um, secured f- to do a summer fiction issue. You know that would be long. Excellent. Yeah. So, so Buddhist writing for first things that may not be a first, but this fiction being published. Well, yeah. first things is always published poetry, but like yeah, fiction really explicitly getting published. That's that's a new horizon, huh? Yeah, yeah, it is. And and some of the issue is uh, it's been very difficult for them to find good fiction from people in our world. You know. Uh, yeah. To, it is to a make struggle. It, yeah, and and it's certainly out there, um, and and if we broaden our scope, to, you know, to include fellow travelers, um, so especially among Catholics, um, it's it's definitely definitely doable. Um, but uh, but it is an issue. It's something where you know there's a lot of creative energy. Uh, there's a lot of raw talent. Yeah, yeah. On the dissident right, but it needs to be cultivated. It needs to be exactly. It needs to be honed. Um, you know, I'm even considering eventually doing workshops, you know, to help make that possible. You should. You you absolutely should. Because, I mean, what I see my from my vantage point, what is going on is on the left. And I, I think Lomez even said as much in a previous interview somewhere. I don't recall exactly where. But the left has spent decades, you know, teaching um, kids how to write and you know not not necessarily that mfa programs teach you how to write but they've been teaching them how to uh you know spin narratives in a kind of stylistically appealing way 
And, yeah. uh, you know, we unfortunately do not have that infrastructure. We have not controlled the universities for many decades. And, you know, all of this is kind of nascent art scene. This is uh, on the right is, you know, entirely a bootstrapped self funded, both, you know, monetarily and intellectually, uh, you know, situation. And as such, you know, we, uh, you know, I think, oh, a certain not owe a debt necessarily, but it would serve us to help our fellow travelers get in shape, get in yeah. shape intellectually, get in shape as writers. And the same way, like, you know, you, you, you know, do starting strength to learn how to lift. Yeah. Uh, well, you, you do, uh, you know, I, some of me, I don't know what to, you know, to tell people, mm -hmm. but you do, you do something to learn how to write. Yeah. Yeah. You got to practice. Um, now, Justin, I think I, I mentioned this in the, the opening, but you are, you are, in fact, a holder of an MFA. I mean, we can get a little more into the details of that later, but um, no, it's very yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, I went to, to UC Irvine. I uh, got into my first pick MFA program. It was the nice. only one I got into out of 12. And it happened to be at the time, you know, the best and most, you know, selective in the nation. Um, and nice. Yeah, blew blew my mind to get to go to a place where so many of my heroes went to. Yeah, yeah. What are some of the? I'm actually not familiar. What are some of like the big UC Irvine sort of alum alumni? Yeah, Michael Shaben. Uh, yeah, Richard, yeah. Richard Ford, uh, yeah. and um, uh, David Benioff. Mm -hmm. Oh, all right, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, and. Uh, uh, I mean, a, a whole slew of others. I, I think, you know, I think we have all told like three or four Pulitzer Prizes at this point. Amazing. Yeah. Congratulations. Um, yeah, no, and I've been enjoying, I enjoyed your, in addition, you know, we'll, we'll talk a lot about your nonfiction essays today, but I, I did enjoy, you know, the fiction of yours that I, uh, that I delved into. I liked Kill Share. I think I read Kill Share and Ritual and maybe one other that's now still in my mind, but I, I, I intend to read more of it. And um, you, you write basically sort of science fiction and horror, would you say? Yeah, yeah, I would yeah. kind of describe it as, as literary horror, um, but it, it's very much a uh, slipstream or cross genre. Yeah, fantasy. yeah, yeah. Nicodemus was the other piece I read, which I also enjoyed, which was not horror, but it was very, it was like surrealism. I, would, I mean, not to even label it too much, but, I, you know, as you said, sort of slipping between different genres. Um, I really liked it. Who are some of your, like, in terms of writing, I guess, especially horror, I'm interested in because you, and you talk about this in your review of hereditary how you know as a christian but also a writer of horror sometimes you have to sort of figure out you know your own sort of not justification because it's it's an under you know obviously we like horror because it's thrilling to us as you said and there's really nothing wrong with that but it's sometimes you know i guess there is this desire to have um some kind of higher message in it right but i'm curious like who who your influences in horror are yeah so i mean stephen king first and foremost yeah I mean, I'm convinced that he is the Dickens of our era. Yeah, mm. I like him too. Yeah, you know, he is. I mean, I wish he would get off Twitter, but uh, right, <laughs> yeah, I I fucking love him. You know, he is. Um, he's just you know he's one of the few authors you know who I I know when he pa finally passes you know that I'm I'm just going to weep. Um, yeah, no, no, no. He's he's a national treasure for sure, <laughs> and. But uh, yeah, so so King um, Mark Danielewski, hmm. uh, yeah. he wrote uh, House of Leaves. Oh, yeah, okay, okay, I've heard of that one. 
just a spectacular, spectacular novel. Um, deconstructive monstrosity, you know, that works when it shouldn't work at all. Uh-huh. And uh, Neil Gaiman. Yeah. Uh, sure. of course, um, one of my, one of my favorite, like just hardcore horror authors right now is Nick Cutter. Hmm. I, I can't, it's a pen name. I can't remember, you know, the, the guy, the guy's real name. He's a, he's a Canadian literary author who yeah. was just hired at doing the, you know, the womanly literary fiction scene thing. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, I like horror. I'm tired of not making real money. These awards don't mean anything. I'm just going to write what I want to write. And, mm-hmm. and he's written, um, you know, I think three of just the most outstanding horror novels of probably the last couple of decades. Interesting. Yeah, I've heard the name for sure. Yeah. Um, are you like an HP Lovecraft fan, or is that kind of a different realm of thing? No, no. I I love I love Lovecraft. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, that's that's the title of my of my story uh, that won the Passage Prize, um, Volume Two. Oh, sorry. I'm a, I'm I'm behind the the eight ball here on or behind the cue ball. Where the expression is, I didn't realize you were in Passage Prize too. Um, but yeah. I'm glad you know. Yeah. Uh, I'll read that story. I, I'll I'll get passage, passage two. Um, I guess on that note, uh, we can get into a little more the the meat, perhaps, of this conversation, which I uh, I think it, I think it's your most recent piece on first things, which is rewilding Christianity, which um very very interesting piece and a lot to unpack. But I guess I I tie it in with passage passage price two because of course passage price two you know press price one was x of the longhouse passage price two is rewilding um i assume rewilding christianity is a reference to that or perhaps passage price two is a reference to your essay i'm not even sure uh chicken or the egg um yeah i i mean i wasn't consciously uh you know basing it on on the anthology title but uh but i think it's that they're both coming from the same place. The same concept has been roiling in the ether for a while. Uh, Definitely. It's a worthy topic. Yeah. Yeah. And it, you know, and it's, it is connected with um, the idea of reenchantment, you know, which is, that's another buzzword here. Yeah. Utterly, utterly crucial um, to, to solving the impasse that we're in civilizationally. Yeah. That is really the meat of of what I want to delve into. Um, I actually one of my questions was was literally because I don't want to make any um philosophical assumptions, but in my reading of your pieces, like so when he talks about rewilding Christianity, he is talking about re-enchanting Christianity or re-en- or finding re-enchantment through Christianity. Correct? Um, or is there a distinction? So so I um yeah, so so that's a that's a big part of it. Um, is is the sense of, of rediscovering, um, you know, the uh, the reality of being, um, just yeah. viewing all things. Um, that, in a very real sense, all things are divine. All things are holy uh, mm-hmm. because they're all given by God. Yeah. At you know, at least phenomenologically, from our from our perspective, you know, given every moment of perception yeah. is, is a gift to us uh, yes. of something yeah. that is, that, that is literally supernatural uh, mm-hmm. and beyond, beyond the confines of our head. 
and that we don't have control over, and that is gift. Um, and, you know, man used to simply intuit this. Uh, it used to be part of, you know, our, our phenomenological script, uh, but it's been written out um, mm. by, by very steady, intentional, careful, determined work um, of the modern West, yeah. uh, which is anti-human, anti-Christian, anti-being to its core. And, um, and so, you know, the human imagination, you know, our experience uh, of the world at any given moment is impoverished compared yeah. to what it would have been 600 years ago. And, mm-hmm. no, you no. know, we have a, uh, we have a patrimony to reclaim a phenomenological patrimony. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, the, obviously the experience of religion, the religious experience is um, to some extent and, you know, certainly originally rooted in direct observation, direct Phenomenology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, to the extent that um, the um, atheism and, you know, the uh, scientific revolutions of the West have uh, divorced us from that kind of more, quote unquote, primitive understanding of our circumstances, they have done a great disservice to the religious health of man. And so, yeah, this, I mean, you know, in a sense, I was not musing on this directly earlier today, but I was thinking how whenever you feel a sense of kind of like strong emotional connection to a moment, it's usually has something to do with the fact that that moment you're experiencing something new, you're experiencing something in a, in a new way, which is why um, childhood is just remembered as a wondrous. And I, I suppose at times uh, terrible experience for many people and why you know certain milestones when you're an adult like marriage or children like you remember those days or you know uh, i imagine you you would remember those days with uh, you know a greater clarity a greater emotional connection and mm-hmm. you know that is like i is that i i guess this is a long-winded way of uh, saying or asking is that what you mean by rewilding american christianity to kind of break down the walls of uh, kind of legalese and, you know, scholar, you know, scholarship or what have you, and reconnect people to the kind of religious moment, as it were. Um, yeah, hey, just a second. Somebody, somebody's buzzing my door. No worries. Oh, sure, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no problem. Let me, let me, let me mute this. Fair enough. No worries, no worries. Yeah, no, good, good, good question. We'll, we'll come back to it. Yeah, yeah I figured I'd jump in there. No, no, totally. Sorry, I'm, I'm dealing with something. No, no, no. I'm um sorry. I hope it doesn't look too much. Like I'm literally just. I was looking out the window. Oh, all right. Oh, that's. I was looking at the yeah, window. Hotel. Maybe I'll even keep this in the pod because I was looking yeah. at the window. At, I'm staying right. I'm in Las Vegas for. I think yeah. I will keep this in the pod. Yeah, I'm in Las Vegas, um, like downtown. Uh, so like right off Fremont Street, so I can see like. Mm everything so it's kind of interesting to hear him talking about um you know the uh the decline of 
of, a, of what Heidecker would call astonishment at being, I guess, is, is analogous. Uh, Justin's back with us, so I can comment on that. I would, uh, Justin, I was just saying, I, I told you at the top of the pod, I'm in, I'm in Las Vegas, so I'm listening to what you're saying about, um, you know, the, the the soul being stripped out of things in the West. That's not how you put it, but, you know, I'm, I'm just looking at my words here, and I'm, I'm looking out at the Las Vegas strip. It's like, can I... Yeah. Is divinity findable in this? And I mean, I think it is. I think it is. But uh, if it's uh, it's a little bit postmodern and, and a bit of a postmodern and ironic guise here in Las Vegas. But nevertheless, I think, you know, the pro- project like rewilding Christianity in North America, especially, would, would involve kind of looking at this, these excesses of capitalism, right? And the other other issues that that tie into that sort of reality stripped of its spirit thing but nevertheless like I, I i'm kind of rambling here but nevertheless must be found even even in these modern and postmodern conditions uh yeah that's just my own musing looking out the window here at at the fremont street in las vegas but um dan had asked a question so i'll let you answer that if you yeah, so, so let's let's get back to this this idea of childhood and in the way from you know our perception of the world is different um when we are supposedly mature uh, to what uh, it was when we were children. Yeah. Uh, you, you you will never again experience beauty the way you experience beauty as a child. True, yes. And if we think about why that is, you know, what's happening in the experience of beauty, um, you experience the beautiful being, the beautiful object, whether it's a person, you know, or, or a thing, uh, a sunset, a tree, a flower, a field of flowers, whatever the object is, um you know it it stands forth from its background it makes Mm. everything else around it background Mm. because of its loveliness and um and you your attention is arrested um you know your your perceptual field narrows um and fixes onto that object and and there's this this sense in which that experience that this object its beauty is unprecedented that never before have you encountered anything like this mm. um, even if you have um and but if you have it's that experience of something being unprecedented mm-hmm. um that you've encountered before in a different object and and we are, you know, when we were young, we are much more open to that experience. Um, yeah. We have a phenomenological openness to the world um, that allows that encounter with beauty to happen. And, um, you know, a lot of us still possess something of that openness, but uh, modern life intervenes. Mm. And, um, it is designed to prevent that experience from happening, mm. um, mm-hmm. to, to limit it, uh, because we are never freer than in that encounter. Yeah, you know, with, absolutely. Um, and so in a, you know, in our increasingly totalitarian order, um, beauty is the most radical transgressive thing that there is, um, because it, it, uh, because it's the greatest enemy of nihilism. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and this is one of the things that's so funny about 
um, you know, Nietzsche and, you know, Nietzscheanism in general, which um, claims to love beauty uh, and yet is nihilistic to the core, is about the will to yeah. power, ultimately a, a philosophy and politics of becoming. Um, you know, it's utterly irreconcilable with a true devotion to beauty, mm. you know, which mm. is a devotion to being itself. And so to the extent that contemporary Christianity um, engages in worldly distraction um, and cultivates distractions as opposed to cultivating attention um, to the objects of experience, uh, which, of course, includes the movings of the spirit of God. Uh, yeah. Then... Um, you know, then there's something perverse has taken place within yeah. the faith, and so so rewilding uh, mm -hmm. is 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 ideally going to be a radical disruption mm. of disruption, um, so that attention can be recultivated. Um, the you know the, the other you know and this allows for the possibility of reenchantment. Mm. I mean, you know it. Um, it is, it is such a mutilation of the human soul that if you get the opportunity to walk around in woods, purely in the purely in the forest, with no one else around, no sounds of civilization, if you if you're blessed enough to get to do that, um, it's still a mutilation of the soul that you don't have this anticipation that you could round a tree and see a fawn. Um, mm -hmm in this you know in the classical sense of a satyr uh or a yeah. fairy uh, or that you are in danger of um stepping into a fairy circle and finding yourself into a, an other place yeah um you know the the fact that we're not open to those possibilities um is i think it's deeply mutilating I'm drawing yes. a yeah, a couple things to unpack there. Now, you mentioned Nietzsche. Obviously, you're not a, a Nietzschean. Very few Christians are, although some try to square the circle. But uh, so BAP, Bronze Age pervert, one of these frog Twitter people I'm sure you're familiar with. <laughs> um, very familiar with, I'm sure. Uh, he is a Nietzschean, but nevertheless, so I'm sure there's plenty of things that you and he are not on the same page on. But what you just described kind of reminds me of one of the key concepts from um, concepts from his book, Bronze Age Mindset, which is this notion of controlled space, you know, which also ends up tying to the longhouse notion. It's a, it's a notion that's kind of become bigger than, than just BAP. And it's something that we all think about this, this sense that the map is now, um, you know, sort of totally charted out. And this, yeah, this enchantment has been drained away obviously talking about controlled territory in the map that's a very sort of conquistador look at like oh you know there's like this political arrangement where everything is sort of understood but it goes deeper than that right there is this this scientism to it this uh you know we, we could probably spend all day talking about different theories of what it is that has disenchanted us so um but that basic notion of you know controlled space of, of things um, being under the yoke of some some kind of, you know, maybe it started at, just to speak very broadly and sort of philosophically loosely here. You know, maybe it started as a kind of enlightenment scientism about the world, but it it has ended up in 
Yeah. Nihilism. I mean, does that resonate? Yeah, no, definitely. I, I mean, yeah, of course, I read Ron Sage Mindset. <laughs> you know, I, I loved it. And yeah, I disagree yeah. with a lot of stuff. But, you know, it's it's provoking in so many of the right ways. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, and this is and this is one of the key ways in which it's, you know, rightly provoking. Um, but it's also an example of where Bap, you know, just doesn't go deep enough because he um, he isn't a Christian. Yeah. Uh, and he doesn't have the the metaphysical firepower to take his critique as far as it needs to go. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so when he's talking about own space, um, you know, I and in the way we we rebel against that if we're healthy. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely true, absolutely right and, and we and we should rebel. Uh we should feel deeply unsettled. Um like we could never be at home in such an environment. Yes, yes. And um and so you know I I see only two options, you know, for for, for what that actually means though. Um either that space shouldn't be owned if I feel that way. I must feel that it shouldn't be owned at all, that it's not ownable space uh, in itself, mm-hmm. uh, or it should be owned by me. Yeah, yeah. And and if it's the latter, um, if if I'm rebelling against you know the fact that space is owned because I don't own it, uh, because it's someone else's will to power, not my will to power. Um, you know, then then we're just we're just playing a power game. We're we're just in the realm of becoming, and um, and and the critique itself, um, is you know it 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 hollows itself out, yeah, uh, because it's complaining about a about an oppressor, and the complaint is that they get to be the oppressor, not me. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Oh, keep going, keep going, keep going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and so. And so, you know, it has to be brought back to being, um, and yeah, and what an actual proper reverence um, of of space um, is, uh, what it means for space to to actually be free. Yeah, and and I don't I don't see him actually quite get there. And, sure. and I don't yeah. I think you know I don't think it's possible to get there from anything like a Nietzschean framework. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean one one does imagine I don't know where Bap would stand on this, but what one 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 can imagine a sort of middle ground where there is this healthy political will, you know. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe by talking about will, I'm already you know dipping my toe toe further into Nietzschean waters than than you would than you'd want for the purpose of the conversation. But Nevertheless, one one can imagine, and I think maybe this is the project of you know bringing someone like Lomez and the exit the Longhouse message in line with some uh, publication like First Things. You know, there there is like a healthy political well. There is that you mentioned at the maybe this was before we were recording. You know, this desire to replace the elite with a new elite. I mean, there is an element of political will to that, but it doesn't have to all devolve into will. Ideally, there could be some middle ground where again, healthy political will, but tempered by a reverence for nature a reverence for being um one can imagine a middle ground or am i am i am i trying to square the circle there no i i I think i think so i I, you know one thing that's coming to mind is you know if we imagine you know we're just we're we're living in a feudal period and and you're out strolling in the king's forest Mm -hmm. you don't know the forest the king 
owns it, its own space. But your experience of that space is not going to be of owned space in the same way that your experience of um, space in contemporary America. Um, exactly. Yeah. You know, there, there's there's a radical difference. Um, and so it's uh, and so the difference has, you know, less to do with, you know, with actual individual power, with individual will than you know than this larger uh, framework w- w- within which we're trained to think about ourselves in relation to the world hmm. um, yeah. um, you know where where everything is instrumentalized um, everything is flattened into the same ontological category um, yeah. you know of raw material and no, absolutely and one can imagine, as you said, like in the King's Forest, I mean, this is often the the work of, of various sort of dissident right people from, you know, Yarvin comes to mind. There's this notion of maybe having a leader who or, or a regime that is stronger or even authoritarian compared to our sort of quasi libertarian elements of our current regime, you know, um, but that is the, the, the reason for that isn't isn't the pure exaltation of will to power, but rather because, you know, different, you know, we don't have to get into the the, the, the details of, of what the, the good, you know, we don't have to have a Socratic dialogue about what the good regime would look like, but there's a notion that there, that this being, this beingness you're talking about, um, or even on a more political level, even just, you know, the, these, these, these freedoms in a, in a positive sense, this, this, this freedom to be, et cetera, um, could be better protected under a different regime and under not even just a different political regime, but under a different like ontological regime almost. Um, getting to some deep waters here, but there is a notion that you know that there could be a, a different system that I guess what I'm trying to say is like you, you describe something that fundamentally is a change in you know a fundamental disruption, as you said, in perception almost and in phenomenology, but there could almost be there could be in theory, right? Like a political, a greater political protector of that than what we have now is, I guess, the desire, right? Yeah, no, definitely. Um, and um, and this doesn't necessarily require a different form of government, mm-hmm. um, but it definitely requires a different content of government. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and it requires uh, a different elite uh, th- than what we have right now, an elite yeah. that's actually dedicated to cultural memory. Yeah, um, no, absolutely. Um, I don't always like being sort of name droppy of, of different thinkers, but I, maybe it's it's warranted here. Um, just tell me, I'm, I'm curious, like, um, you know, you you seem to come from a very sort of phenomenologically in, influenced or, or um, informed philosophical mm-hmm. standpoint. I'm sure there's a lot of christians evangelicals and others who who have sort of influenced this but uh have you also i, I just have to ask I, I, or do you consider yourself to be sort of influenced by heidegger and and Husserl? i i, I do hear a lot of that in what you're saying and i mean that positively because i'm a reader of them as well yeah no definitely uh I, i'm definitely influenced by them. i've read more heidegger than Husserl to my Good. shame there's there's more heidegger than there is Husserl. i think actually i may be wrong about that maybe Husserl is anyway go on <laughs> I, do, I do think Husserl is the superior thinker I also think Levinas oh. is superior to, to Heidegger. So Heidegger is, you know, he's he's one of these guys who he's utterly brilliant. He he's great at diagnosing pro, um, the problems. Mm-hmm. 
but but at the end of the day he hates god he hates mm -hmm. himself he hates the culture that he lives in he hates the world uh, and he wants yeah. to destroy the order of being and he's willing to lie about metaphysics and the history of metaphysics um, in order to seduce others into his vision yeah. so he, his whole critique of onto theology is a crock of shit mm -hmm. uh, it's a, it, it's it's embarrassing and you know to, to anyone who's actually trained in theology yeah and that doesn't mean that it's useless it's 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 you know his his whole system is incredibly useful um in the way that uh hegel is incredibly useful yes. but he's, he's useful not for the forest uh, but for the trees themselves mm -hmm. uh, so you can pull these gems out of heidegger um and um uh, I, I think it put them to to great use yeah. um but uh, but if you try to make use of the forest itself um you know you're going to get lost and and starve aesthetically yeah and interestingly i think that's almost almost ever almost there's very few i don't know i don't think the dogmatic heideggerian truly exists because no one wants to follow him all the way i mean i think not even to comment on this in, in this forum but i, I feel like it, you know when i was kind of growing up studying philosophy like in high school and then early college there was a notion like oh yeah heidegger was a member of the nazi party but that was kind of neither here nor there it, it kind of seems like when you delve in it's like no having that kind of radical destructive bed yeah. uh really is worked into the some of the some of the elements of his thought yeah it's 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 baked in um it seems almost from the ground up yeah because you know it's a uh he's so easily able to bend the entire project towards justifying the current thing yeah and, and, and this is why heidegger has been so um incredibly useful uh to you know to the radical left yeah sorry i'd not to finish your sentence but yeah it's very true yeah yeah um yeah i, I mean he he creates vacuums um mm. using the language of of care for the given um, and so it's it's deeply seductive, deeply useful. Uh, yeah. You know, if you fancy yourself a conditioner of men. Yeah. No, it's, it's kind of scary when you think about it. It's like this 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 uh, road to hell paved in good intentions, or I don't know if the intentions were truly good, but a road to hell <laughs> paved in very worthy, very 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 worthy questions. But there's this dark element to it. Um, yeah. This wasn't really on the outline, but I think I believe and I also wouldn't be surprised to hear that you sort of were part of this. I, Michael Millerman is another one of these people mm -hmm. in this sphere. And, I, you know, were you, maybe maybe you brought him on board to first things. I don't know. I know he wrote some article, I think, on Dugan. Yeah, first yeah that was actually, it was actually Rusty, hmm. uh, our, our you know, top editor. Uh, hmm. He uh, yeah, no, we I mean, we needed something on Dugan and no. Millerman is, is no, the expert. No. He's he's fantastic. You know, I've been courting him to come on this pod for actually years now. He's a busy man, um, but I took a an online course with him on Heidegger at one point. He's 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 one of the great sort of uh, rogue academics um, out there. And uh, again, not really on the outline. We don't have to comment on it much. But Dugan is he strikes me as very similar <laughs> to Heidegger. Obviously, he's a Heideggerian. Really worthy questions brought up, but man, there is this undercurrent to that stuff that is um, a little frightening. Yeah, no, it's, you know, th there's this huge injection of the will to power. 
um, using using language that 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 seems like something other than that. That that seems like preserving a space of freedom among equals. Yeah, uh, you know, mm -hmm. on the international stage, and you know, so so I think that there's a lot to multipolarity. Yeah, uh, yeah, you know, and and I'm in favor of multipolarity for as long as um, America is in the decadent stage that it is right now, mm -hmm. uh, where you know, where, you know, we are imperialistically trying to queer the Donbass. I mean, yeah. if if that's what we're up to, then we don't deserve to be the unipolar power anymore. Yeah, uh, absolutely. If we're, if we're flying the, uh, the pride progress flag from all of our embassies, um, we, we deserve to lose our standing in the world. Um, because, because we have been an, a faithless steward and um i think that we can turn the ship around you know i really believe that yeah uh, yeah but uh but that but that starts with people like us recreating the culture yeah absolutely Again, rewilding christianity or maybe as part of a broader project of rewilding mm -hmm. you know a broader ecumenical cross faith but you know obviously conservative in some sense coalition which which seems to be you know kind of what you're up to at first things and, and we yeah. i think in part at least hope to be up to doing a podcast like this um oh, sure. anyway i was gonna ask uh with dugan is actually an interesting flashpoint here because we could look at him as someone who he's he's in a he himself is doing some version of well it's it's totally different because it's a russian context right so yeah, you know, maybe maybe in in his mind, the the Orthodox Church over there has never lost its touch with that phenomenology or something. So it's not rewilding, but he's in a pro he's in a political process of, I mean, he's a very I mean he 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 del he dabbles in occultism. In fact, mm -hmm. um, he he's very invested in this 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 issue of reenchantment to his credit on some level. And then, but there there as we kind of talked about with Heidegger and with Dugan almost more explicitly, there's this bent towards. Maybe this is unfair, but I've read some Dugan. Uh, there's this bent towards like millenarianism, you know, immunitizing the eschaton. I, it feels yeah. like there's there. So basically, that immunitizing the eschaton, uh, you know, I, as someone who's studied some of these occult topics and stuff, and and the influence between that and, and different political movements, that is the the pitfall uh, of kind of getting interested in some of this kind of mystical stuff and and sort of and, and taking that sort of Faustian bargain will to power works its way in there. I, I'm not being super articulate about what this process looks like, but I think you, Justin, probably know generally what I'm talking about, how how when you delve into this process of reenchantment, there are major pitfalls. And sort of becoming an immunitizer of the eschaton is is definitely one of them. Um, so I'm curious if you have a comment on that, but also how yeah. in our process of rewilding Christianity, how do we avoid that? Yeah, so it's fake and gay mysticism. <laughs> It's yeah. it's it's imminent mysticism. Um, it, it's mysticism that um, you know is trying only trying to discern things within the you know within the realm of becoming, mm -hmm. and um, and is afraid of timeless being, mm -hmm. uh, afraid afraid of the universal, uh, afraid of God. Mm -hmm. um, 
and uh, I, I mean that's that's what that's what all all of the occult stuff comes down to, and and most of the modern permutations of Gnosticism. Yeah, um, you know it is, um, you know, I get the aesthetic. I, I get that there's an aesthetic thrill, right, to Hermeticism, mm -hmm. um, but. You know, it's uh, the incoherence is ultimately so childish, mm. uh, at, you know, at the level of metaphysics that it's, you know, it's so hard to take seriously. And it's so hard to take anyone seriously if they take it seriously. Yeah. Um, and um, because it just becomes a kind of identity construction. Mm. Um, yeah. And you know, a, a way to make ourselves feel special. Um, you know, when we know deep down that we're we're not special. Mm -hmm. And yeah, but but you know, the the deeper mysticism, uh, the deeper traditions of mysticism are are fantastic and and i think are you know part of the key to getting us out of where we're at yeah and this is part of what you know the rewilding article is about and and the and the article that prompted uh, my writing of that article which you should really really read uh, paul king's mm. uh, a wild christianity mm. well, just, having it, yeah. yeah it's it's just spectacular everything that a guy writes you know it just turns to gold mm. <laughs> is he's he is profound and but uh you know it's his essay is digging deep into the history of ireland's cave saints mm. and you know something that he does to rewild himself is you know he lives you know out close enough to you know the countryside that he can just you know throw his uh, tent onto his back and go for the weekend and leave leave the kids with his wife and he can just disappear and go to go find a cave out out in the forest you know that used to be inhabited by one of these hermits um, yeah and and then he'll he'll spend the weekend just sleeping in the cave in silence mm. and um yeah, well, know, yeah so ireland has all these sites of memory um that you know that are beautiful and you can feel you know you can you can you can feel history um I, you know I, I don't know if you have you ever been to rome unfortunately i have not, not actually unfortunately yeah it, i just had just one of the, the just the most distinct feeling i've ever had of just the stones underneath me throbbing with memory yeah. uh, never been in a place that felt that old um where, where i felt you know that there there's you know almost the you know this kind of spiritual essence just there pulsating in the very stones and um the the thing you know and i get i get up to this in the article um one of the things that's so difficult about being a christian in america especially a protestant um is that we, we have very little of that 
Right. Yeah. 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 That is one of the main things you talk about in the article. And, and so, um, you know, it means that, you know, our opportunity right now is to intentionally create that for others. Yeah. Um, to bring that into being. And, so it's like a harder challenge, but also kind of a more radical and therefore more, you know, the positive spin is like almost more exciting challenges to kind of create this stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so so there's actually an opportunity for, you know, a deeper participation, you know, because the, you know, the cave saints were making those spaces, what they, what they became. Um, and so, you know, that there's opportunity for emulation. But uh, so I, I wanted to get back to something you were saying earlier about, you know, the occult stuff. Yeah. Uh, and Dugan's version of reenchantment. And, and of course, this is also the the danger, you know, for, for the American right. Mm-hmm. You know, that there's about uh, reenchantment. And it's not just the right. I mean, you know, the, there's a, a pretty solid faction of the left that is just hungering for enchantment. Yeah. Oh yeah, more much more visibly, in fact, because a lot of the a lot of the mainstream right is actually still. I'll try. I'll let you get back to your point in a moment. But yeah, a lot of the mainstream right is still kind of comfortable in the version of Christianity they've been practicing for generations, which is great, you know, to be rooted to that. But um, maybe some of the issues are starting to rear their heads. That's that's a deep water topic. I'll let you continue. But uh, anyway, I was just want to say, yeah, in terms of reenchantment, like the the interest in the occult and things like that and um stuff that your friend or i don't know if you're it's your friend but you know somebody you've read a lot about and that your work turned me on to tara isabel burton her book strange rights uh she talks about atavism and sort of pagan atavism on the right but a lot of it is the more visible stuff is on is on the the cultural left and and very much part and parcel married to progressive political ends um sorry start with the tangent keep going yeah yeah, and especially perverse sexuality. Oh yeah, oh yeah, which goes hand in hand with with, with witchcraft. Yeah, uh, you know it, it's it's just like, um, yeah, it's like oh you're 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 poly and you have pink and purple hair. Um, you cast spells. You you have like tallow candles in your closet right now. You know I know that about you. Yeah. Like in, um. And, um, and, and, and vice versa, you know, they, um, you know, any attempt to, to use, to use imagination to control the world, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and to refashion reality. Um, but, uh, yes, yeah, so, so I have just sitting right in front of me, um, as part of what, you know, my current writing project, um, uh, collection of uh, of essays by uh, tolkien mm-hmm. if you're including uh on fairy stories have either of you read on fairy stories no but no uh, i used to sounds... have that book in my room i don't i so maybe i did as a teenager read that but man it's been a long time no. okay please please read it yeah <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah that, that essay in general like you know as as writers um you know it will It'll fan a flame. It'll fan the flame that's already burning, mm. um, um, in in just precisely the most beautiful ways. Good, yeah. And he, 
so he gets at something you know regarding enchantment you know that is that is really really powerful and and he's talking about this you know in um in the context uh of of, of good fantasy and bad fantasy and fiction um and you know that uh you know great great fantasy you know the great fairy tale um allows you to escape yeah um, you know and and you know people who accuse you know lovers of fantasy of of escape of indulging escapism you know you know they're just they're idiots you know you know you live in prison why wouldn't you want to escape mm-hmm. um you know you're you're sane if you want to get out yeah of, of you know of just the 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 misery that that life so often entails uh the botany and and, and so it's a healthy impulse, but mere escapism, you know, is, is not healthy. Escape should always lead to recovery. Yeah. A, a recovery of a new vision of the world where you see the world more truly as it's meant to be seen. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, but not all fantasy produces that, uh, that effect. Some, some fantasy is mere escapism. Uh, without leading to recovery and, and he describes this as uh, leading to morbid delusion mm. and and so you know the uh, the kind of occultism you know the, the the pagan atavism on the right and the um you know the the, the booming witchcraft industry on the left um you know the, these are forms of escape without recovery um, none of that none of it leads you to see the world uh, more truly as you're meant to be as you're meant to see it mm-hmm. uh, and you know so, so this is something to strive for in art is to to create that release create that escape uh, for the reader or for the viewer or the listener um but uh, but also to um create the path to return um you know with uh, with some transformation you know that clears away you know the gunk uh from our eyes so that we can see more clearly yeah yeah and but uh, but i think in general you know that's a, that's a um as we approach reenchantment through more than just art uh i, I think that that should be a guiding theme that um you know if our pursuits of enchantment um are about giving ourselves power or making ourselves feel powerful or about changing the world um rather than seeing the world more truly as gift Mm -hmm. uh, you know then then there's something pathological at play yeah no i mean that's gives me a lot of food for thought i mean even just like personally you know i think about my own you know dalliances into these kinds of things and the, the degree to which i you know it does become egoic or pathological or will based as opposed to what you said is that basic understanding of the givenness of the world as a gift seems to be the fundamental attitude right the, the yeah. one that's one should yeah well, and I'm saying this as much for my own benefit as for anyone else's. You know, I mean, I, you know, I, 
I literally have a wizard staff, you know, that I made out of a, a cedar tree. Um, and, and if I could actually exert Gandalf like power with that, that's exactly what I would do. Um, and I would not deny myself the one ring. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's, um, yeah. yeah, so it's, you know, everyone, everyone's faith, I think is a constant battle, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with, with, with embracing and loving the given. Yeah, no, um, not to press the hard questions, but I mean, I I'm with you in so many ways. Uh, or I, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not about to argue against you either here, but like, um, what, what would, what is like the pragmatic advice? Like, you know, but kind of both sociopolitically, like how we can, and I know that it's a really hard question. I'm not saying I